One of the things I struggle with when I go on vacation is being a pastor is so much a part of who I am as a human being because being a pastor is an expression of my Christianity. And as a Christian, I serve God daily. I pray, I read his word, I worship. And when I go on vacation, how do you go on vacation from that? And well, it's, so it's difficult. It's interesting to, to divorce yourself from your work and at the same time, so that you can get the respite that you need, and at the same time, continue in your daily walk with the Lord. And um, one of the things that, that I, I struggled with or that I thought about over my time that I was gone was living out righteous life and what it, like, what it looks like and how does it play out. One of the things that, uh, that, that God had put on my heart, well, the thing that God had put on my heart for this particular Sunday was to talk with you in this second of my number of sermons that are going to be on the What Is series. And what is, last time we talked, was what is sin. And today I want to talk about what is tzedakah. You have no idea what that means. And there's no slide, because who has time to do slides when you're working on getting the sound system fixed? <laughs> I was trying to get my slides done yesterday and the sound system wasn't working and I was like, oh well, let's see. I gotta have the sound system for tomorrow or I have to have slides for tomorrow. Uh sound system. So slides are in the past, uh, or in the future or something. But let me spell this Hebrew word to you. T Z as in zebra. E D A K A H. T-Z-E-D-A-K-A-H. Sadaka. Like Neil Zadak, Neil Sadaka, yeah, something like that. You can also find it spelled T-S-E-D-A-K-A-H. You can find it without the H at the end. It just depends on who's talking. Because it's basically a transliteration of a Hebrew word. And... Um, but that, I, as, I was, as I was reading my scriptures a number of weeks ago... God brought this word into my mind because I have been reading for devotions out of a book called the Complete Jewish Bible. So this is a, a, a translation of the word of God written from a Messianic Jewish perspective. And so let me read to you that portion of scripture and then we'll start talking a little bit because there's not a lot that I want to say this morning, but I do want to say this little bit that I need to talk with you about. So I'm going to be reading to you out of the book of Luke. Chapter 12, and um, Luke chapter 12, there's so much that I could, I could, I, I could go back to, but I'm, let me find a, a good spot, because um, this is a, a lengthy narrative. Okay, verse 22 of chapter 12, the book of Luke. To his Talmudim, Yeshua said, Because of this I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Think about the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They, neither store, they have neither storerooms nor barns. 
yet God feeds them. You are worth much more than the birds. Can any of you, by worrying, add an hour to his life? If you can't do a little thing like that, well, why worry about the rest? Think about the wild irises and how they grow. They neither work nor spin thread. And yet I tell you, not even Shlomo, Shlomo is Solomon. Not even Shlomo in all his glory was clothed as beautifully as one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and thrown in the oven tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? What little trust you have. In other words, don't strive after what you will eat and what you will drink. Don't be anxious for all the pagan nations in the world set their hearts on these things. Your father knows that you need them too. Rather, seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Have no fear, little flock, for your father has resolved to give you his kingdom. Sell what you own and do tzedakah, or tzedakah, excuse me, tzedakah. Make for yourselves purses that don't wear out, riches in heaven that never fail, where no burglar comes near, where no moth destroys. For where your wealth is, there your heart will be also. And the focus for me was verse 33 and 34. Sell what you own and do tzedakah. I always want to say tzedakah. So I, I got corrected when I was doing some research. It's tzedakah. But tzedakah. What in the world was tzedakah? And like I said, this is a, a, a version of the Bible written from the perspective of Messianic Jews. So they're bringing in their Jewish heritage and culture. So I had to look that word up. And tzedakah basically means Righteousness or charity. It comes from the root word that means justice. So righteousness or charity is doing acts that are just. And you see, if you get into philosophical discussion, which unfortunately my class that starts tomorrow is philosophy, and I'm not looking forward to the next eight weeks. Um, but if you look philosophically at this idea of living righteously, how does it play out? Because see, we are Christians who are of the Wesleyan Arminian tradition. The Nazarene church says we believe in living not only a Christ-like life, but we believe in living a holy life. Righteous Christ-like life. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to live holy lives. And if you live holy lives, that means you are living righteously. And I always heard people say living righteously meant that you were living in right relationship with God, which I believe to be true. But from the Jewish perspective, living righteously is living justly. And see, I struggled, I, I shared with this, shared you with shared this with you a number of months ago. I struggled in my own walk as a Christian with this idea of justice. Because I never perceived justice to be anything spiritual. I perceived justice to be part of man's legal system. Living justly is part of how we do really live with the world. But to think about Christians or, or spiritual people who are for, following the Lord Jesus Christ, living justly, 
is a spiritual exercise that was different for me. That was something I never really dealt with all the way through until just recently. And now God again is bringing this back into my thought process. Living justly is living righteously. Well, if I listen to the world, and I'm not going to get political, but you do need to hear a little bit of the politics of this day for you to understand where I'm coming from. If I were to sit and listen to the rhetoric that's going on in the political world right now, you would be hearing, if you followed the, 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 the jargon, that it is appropriate and just for you who have, that, that, who have property and funds and money and equipment and whatever to share or to give to those who don't. And you will hear the opposite argument Oh, excuse me, I worked hard for this. I have been diligent and faithful to be a good steward over that which I have acquired through the years. And I have been blessed because of my work ethic and because of my hard and faithful diligence. And I have now acquired an amount of money and some property and some vehicles. And you're telling me I should share it with those who are too lazy to get up off their fat rear ends? And that's what you're hearing nowadays. And if you want to get political on it, you're hearing socialistic, communistic thought processes, and you're hearing capitalistic, very conservative thought processes in conflict with one another. And that's the world's perspective. Now, I live in this world, and I also am affected by these thought processes, and I have also succumbed in some cases to some of these political thought processes as I've grown as a, as a human being. But how does this all blend into who I am as a holy, righteous, spirit-empowered Christian who's trying to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ? Because if I'm supposed to live righteously, if I'm supposed to live justly before man, am I supposed to be communist in my thinking? Politically? What did Jesus say? So what you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And you only inherit eternal life. Doesn't that sound very communistic in its, in its application? Take those who have and give it to the ones that don't have. Yes, sir. But communism didn't exist when Jesus was I understand. I'm, what I'm saying, just bringing it into a... One of the things that I came across as I was preparing, as I was, yeah, Tanya's over there. Yeah, talk, you, you say it, Sonia. <laughs> Ain't nobody getting what I've heard. No, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm right there with you folks. I'm, but one of the things that I came across was a video by a rabbi. Now, he's not a Christian. He's a rabbi. He's Jewish. Um, he comes from his perspective. But he's an Orthodox Jew. He's one who follows the Lord. He, he follows the teachings of the Old Testament. And he, he said in his video that tzedakah is not charity. Because if you ask anybody what tzedakah is, any Jew, they will tell you, well, tzedakah, that's charity. And the mindset of charity is, I have and therefore I'm going to bestow on you who don't have because you need it and I have it. And so that makes me a good person. 
And so I'm earning brownie points because I'm a good person because I'm giving you who don't have and I'm, I'm the one with. And he said, that's not what tzedakah is. He said, tzedakah is not you acting in a charitable way because you have and you want to bless somebody with your abundance and give it to them because they don't have. He said, tzedakah is, you see a person who's laying on the street who's homeless, who doesn't have anything, and you take what you have been given to bless them. Not what you have, not what you own, what you have been given by God as a steward to bless them. Do you see the difference of mindset? And as I was listening to this Jew who's not a Christian, he was sounding really Christian. But then I started realizing the Jewish rabbi that I follow was a Jewish rabbi. And he understood tzedakah, which is charitable acts. God has blessed me, therefore I will pass on my blessing to someone who has a need. It's the right thing to do. It brings justice to the world. And it honors God. Jesus was Jewish. And this is where the mindset he's coming from. So as you're seeing this, and we're reading this, it says, don't worry about your stuff. Don't be anxious over, oh my goodness, the economy is horrible right now. I've got a hoard because heaven forbid the zombie apocalypse is coming. And I have to have food and I have to have money and I have to have ammunition and I have to know how to do thrillers so that I can dance with them. But the reality... That's a joke from yesterday. Anyway, the reality is the mindset of the world is we're in really tough times and I can't afford to do anything other than take care of my own. And the danger is that we Christians may allow that thought process to creep into our thought thinking. And our righteous living and our holy living can be totally inwardly focused and centrally focused instead of doing what Christ would say. Let me read to you out of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. <coughs> Excuse me. I was looking up different verses that had the word tzedakah in them. And chapter 15, yeah, it was 26, 28, something like that. I don't have it written down, sorry. Oh, it wasn't, it was verse 26, 15, 26. Uh, 25, 26. But now I am going to Yerushalayim with aid for God's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia thought it would be good to make some contribution to the poor among God's people in Yerushalayim. And what this is talking about is the Christians in, uh, in Greece and in Thessalonica, which is now Turkey, or Achaia, which is now Turkey. Anyway, anyway that area. They took up a collection, if you remember, in the book of Corinthians, it talked about a collection that he was collecting from all the different churches that was going to be sent to the poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem to bless them. God has given to us, therefore we're going to take from what God has given to us as stewards and we're going to bless others who have a need. It's tzedakah. It's a Jewish concept of charitable giving being practiced by messianic believing Gentiles. 
who've adopted this Hebrew mindset of, I'm a steward of what God has given to me. I see a need, so I'm going to give because I want to bless. So that's what he's talking about. He said, he's mentioning it. But what was interesting was, as I was looking that up, I just turned to chapter 15. And I, I, I started reading at the beginning of chapter 15, and I was like, oh, wow. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong... Oh, no, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Romans 15 was 25 and 26, was talking about the offering. Then Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong... Now, again, I'm reading out of the complete Jewish Bible. We who are strong have a duty to bear the weaknesses of those who are not strong rather than please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor and act for his good, thus building him up. For even the Messiah didn't please himself. Rather, as the Tanakh, the law says, the insults of those insulting you fell on me. In other words, he didn't worry about himself, he worried about others. Took on the penalty of the others onto himself. He, he displayed that for us and expects us to live in that same mindset. So verses 1 and 2 say of chapter 15 of Romans, We who are strong have a duty to bear the weaknesses of those who are not strong rather than please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor and act for his good, thus building him up. See, charity has this negative connotation. I'm not going to take any charity from you because there's a mindset of I'm better than you, I'm more powerful than you, I have more resources than you, and out of the goodness of my heart I'm going to give to you, you little poor thing. And there's an offense that takes place when charity is offered. True? Not true? A woman who works with it from the government's perspective? But the Christ response, the Christ mindset is not, I'm better than you, therefore I'm giving. It's God has trusted me with resources and I am passing them on. Has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with making myself look good, has nothing to do with making myself better. It simply has a matter of God has promised, He has provided, he has given me, my needs are met, and this is extra, extra to my need in here. And in some cases, you give of your own stuff because God tells you to. Even if it isn't extra. Even if it's just what you were going to eat today. I've shared this story with you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That is true. That is true. I'm not saying that you have to have an obligation to meet everybody. It's, this is talking about people in the fellowship. That is true. However, it's whatever God tells you to do. However God tells you to minister. Some of us are gifted, specifically spiritually gifted with the gift of spiritual, uh, the spiritual gift of giving. In other words, God has given us an abundance because he knows he can trust us to give and to use it for his glory. And it may not be a Christian that you give it to. It may be somebody else because God will bring glory through his, to his name through it, through that act. 
There are those of us that God knows he can't trust with tens of thousands of dollars, and so he gives us just a couple hundred dollars to deal with for the period of time, because he knows that's the most we can be trusted with. It's true. may not be pleasant, but it's true. If you're sitting there going, oh God, how come you never bless me? He says, I can't trust you. I can't trust you as far as I can throw you. That's why. It's true. If you were a faithful steward, you'd have more. It says that in the Bible. If, if you could be trusted with more, you'd have more. If you can't be trusted with more, you get what you get. Until you prove yourself faithful. I know that sounds harsh, but that's scripture. I'm, that, I'm the one who only gets one talent. <laughs> I don't get ten. God does not trust me with ten. I don't bury it, no. But I use, what I, I use it for his glory to the best of my ability, and then when I mess up, he slaps me and says, eh, don't do that again. But the reality that I wanted to bring to us this morning, and this is what I wanted to, to, to close with, if you go back to Luke chapter 6, because that's where we started. No, we started in 12, sorry. But go back to Luke 6. I have a friend, and I've shared this story with you before, but I want to share it again this morning. I have a friend who lived in Colorado. Things were tight. He was struggling to feed his family. They literally had $100 left. That was it. He worked in construction. And construction is you get paid and then the money's there and then it's gone and you don't get paid again until there's more work. And he had $100 in his pocket. And it was Saturday and he needed to get groceries. He was coming home to take to pick up his wife to go buy groceries for their family. And they had like four or five kids. So it wasn't like a small family. And... He walked out of his car and was walking down the sidewalk to his house and there was a friend of his that came up and said something and they were talking and it ended up that the Holy Spirit whispered to my friend, give him the hundred dollars. Lord, this is food you're taking out of my children's mouth. This is all I have. Give him the hundred dollars. Okay. So he did. And he walked into the house and his wife was like, so are you ready to go? No. And he told her, she went, what? He said, God told me to do it. I had no choice. She's like, okay, but I don't know what we're going to feed our kids tomorrow because there's nothing in the house. And they got up the next morning and they went to church. And as they were at the end of the church service, this other friend, not the guy that he gave $100 to, another friend came up and said, hey, I have been craving your wife's spaghetti. If I bought the stuff, do you think your wife could make that for us this afternoon? And Kevin went, I think she could do. And she said, well, I'll go to the store and I'll buy the stuff and I'll come back and I'll meet you at your house. So they went home and this guy came and he didn't have just a bag full of groceries, but he had bags filled with groceries. And he brought them into the house and Kevin helped carry them into the house. And Kevin was just flabbergasted. I mean, it was enough groceries there to last the whole two weeks. And uh, his friend said he needed to use the restroom and he went up out of the room and Kevin was like, I gotta know how much he spent. I know that it's $100 even. I know it's $100 even. I know it. And he's looking through the bags, the receipts and there was no receipt. And he's like, I gotta know. And he saw the guy's wallet and keys sitting on the, on the counter and he was like, <sighs> and he opened up the wallet looking for the receipt and his friend walked into the room. He's like, hi. And the guy went, you looking for this? And he pulled out the receipt out of his pocket. And it said $106.38. And Kevin was just despondent. $106.38. God, I knew it was going to be $100 because it was a message from you. Exactly $100. I gave $100 and I'm going to get $100 back. And God said, Kevin, Luke 6.38, get the message. And he opened up his Bible and he read, Give and you will receive gifts. Full measure, compacted, shaken down, and overflowing will be put right into your lap. 
Not only do I give you your $100 back, I'll give you extra, just to show you that I love you. If you're a faithful steward with what I give you. See, it's not a mindset of I'm, I'm trying to be good. And I'm trying to live a life that's honorable and pleasing and righteous before the holy God. So that the world will see my righteous acts and bring glory to my Father in heaven. That's not what it's about. And it's not trying to be good enough to get enough brownie points so that you can make sure that you get into heaven. That's not what it's about. Jesus said that that was a waste of time. What it is about is living your life in such a way that you are totally, totally, totally focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. His kingdom, His righteousness, His power, His world, His, 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 not me. Be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to the Father and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Your father who loves you is so much more righteous than you. You people think you're so good as parents. If your kid came up to you and asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? If they asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? No. Well, what do you think your father in heaven's going to do for you? Come on. That's right. See, we're so focused on us and it's the economy and it's so bad. Oh my goodness, it's $5 for me to drive to town because oh my, it's going to cost. What am I going to do? And I'm, how am I going to pay my electric bill? The heating bill is going to be so big this year. And, oh my God, what am I going to do? You're going to trust him. And when he says give $100, whether you got it or not, you're going to give it. And I'm not asking for you to put it in the offering. I'm asking you to give it wherever he tells you to give it. Because you're stewards of his stuff. You're not an owner. And if you're struggling right now, then just trust him. One of the things I wanted to close with, and I'm done. I've known him for... 30 plus years and I still feel at times like I'm just a a snot-nosed brat when it comes to being a Christian. I mean, good grief. For heaven's sakes, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor in a holiness denomination. I'm supposed to know better. I had an issue flying down. Some of you know about it. Flying down to California. I got on the plane and there was this woman seated between my wife and I. And this woman was just a bundle of nerves. And she was mad and negative energy. And oh my goodness, we're crowded. And all of a sudden, this panic started welling up inside of me. I'm on a plane, for heaven's sakes. It holds hundreds of people. And it's flown lots and never had a problem. And all of a sudden, I'm panicking. I'm panicking. I can't get off this plane. I can't get off this plane. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I stood up and my wife's like, what's going on? I said, just don't talk to me. Leave me alone. And I'm standing there. I'm literally standing there in the seat facing the luggage compartment that's above it while people are all milling around trying to get... Jesus, don't let me run off this plane because if I run off this plane, I'm not going to get back on it. I know I'm not... But please, God, I'm starting to panic. Oh, please shut that woman up because she's just making it worse. God, help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. I'm going to stand right here until the steward flight attendant tells me to sit down and turn off my electric stuff. But God, I need you to help me. Please, God, don't let me run off this plane because I'm going to run off this plane so bad. I'm so scared. Oh, God, help me. Help me. Help me. Literally. 15 minutes of panic. And if I got off that plane, I was not getting on again. I knew it. And I knew there was no way to get to California unless I stayed on the plane. And I stood there, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Finally, sit down, lock the seats, put the seats up and straight tables and turn off all your stuff because we're getting ready to take off. The doors are shut. Aft department does all checked. Everybody's good. Flight attendants, take your seats for takeoff. Oh, God. Oh, God, don't let me 
die. Oh God, please don't let me die. Oh God, please don't let me die. This is real, folks. I was in the midst of the worst panic attack I've ever gone through in my life. There's no reason for it other than the enemy was trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And we got there and we're fine. And God got me through it. But I had to fly home. And I looked at our flight arrangements. And we were flying from San Jose to Portland on a plane that I couldn't stand up in. On a plane that I could almost reach out and touch both windows at the same time. On a plane that my wife and I were going to have to sit side by side in two seats with an aisle and then two more seats. And that was for an hour and a half. And then we were going to fly from, from San Jose to, uh, to Anchorage on exactly the same plane that I had the panic attack on. Exactly the same scenario. Exactly the same seating area. Exactly the same crowd. And I wrote a, pr- a prayer request out to the congregation. I said, please be praying for me because I'm claiming promises that God is going to help me not be anxious, but I'm scared. And I was struggling. And I was really struggling as we're driving the hour and a half to the airport. And I was going, God, I'm trusting you. I have this little rock in my pocket I've had there since April. I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you, God. I'm scared to death. I'm trusting you. I'm trying not to be anxious. I'm claiming that you will give me the peace of God. Please, God, don't let me be scared. Please help me to get through this. And we're 20 minutes from the airport. And I get a phone call from the airlines. I am so sorry to tell you this, Mr. Sutton, but the plane that you were scheduled to fly out of San Jose on has come up with unexpected mechanical failure. We've had to cancel the flight. We've had to rebook you. And you're going to be flying out at this time on this plane. And you're going to be going out. And so we got to the airport. And it worked out literally that we flew from San Jose to Seattle, from Seattle to Fairbanks on the same plane that that our daughter was on. And then the last leg of it from Seattle to Fairbanks, there was nobody between us. And we were, it was wide open, and I had absolutely no problems. And as I was sitting in the plane, I was thanking the Lord, and he said, Bob, is my arm too short? Is it not within my ability to cause unforeseen mechanical problems with a plane so that you don't have to fly on it? I can do anything, Bob. Just trust me. Just trust me. Live your righteous life doing that which is right to bring glory to him and trust him. You may not have enough money to pay the electric bill. You may not be able to foresee where your fuel bill is going to come in the next couple of months. Or you may be the one sitting fat and high on the hog right now going, man, God's really blessed me. I wonder for what reason. But trust him. And walk with him on a daily basis. Listening carefully to him. As he guides you. Because he will guide you. And he will tell you exactly why. He has put you in the situation that you're in. And he will tell you what he wants you to do. With the resources that are in your purview. Whether it is to hold on to them. Or release them. And as long as you listen to him. There will be no problems. And all of your needs will be met. And you will be fine. There will be no anxiety. There will be peace. And you'll be walking righteously in right relationship with him, living justly. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you and praise you and glorify you and trust you. We just ask God now that you would pour out your blessings on us, that we might be a blessing to others. And we ask God that you would help us to be faithful stewards of that which you've entrusted to our care. 
In Jesus' name, amen.